if you could remain standing as we come to today's scripture passage in John chapter 10. We're going to have another debate between the Jewish leaders and Jesus. I feel like we've had a few of those thus far in John. But we're in John chapter 10, starting in verse 22 and going through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord for us today. Says at that time at the feast of dedication, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around them him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? I'm not doing the work, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Well, this is the word of the Lord for us today. You may sit down as we come to understand it and apply it. Let's pray together as we seek to do that. Father in heaven, we praise you for giving us your living and active word. And we ask by the power of your spirit that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word today. That you would convict us, you would challenge us, you would encourage us. We pray that you would do that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, sometimes you're in a debate and quickly you realize that this is not a fair debate, that one person is far greater than the other. This happened back in the 1984 presidential campaign. Some of you weren't born yet, I get it, but just kind of bear with me for a second. It was Ronald Reagan, who was the incumbent president, versus Walter Mondale. And at the time, people were saying that Ronald Reagan was far too old to run for president. You may have heard that recently. 
Reagan was a lot older than the current people, or a lot younger than the current people. But anyways, there was this debate whether or not he was too old to run. And so the moderator asked Reagan this question, you know, do you think you're going to be able to perform the duties of commander-in-chief? You're like so old. Are you going to be able to do that? And Reagan gave a classic response. He said, uh, not at all. I want you to know that also I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. And the whole place erupted in laughter. And even Walter Mondale, the person he was debating, was laughing hysterically. And at that moment, Mondale said said later, he said, I knew at that point I was not going to be president. He was outclassed in this debate. Well, in today's passage, there's a debate between the religious leaders and Jesus. These religious leaders are seeking to trap Jesus any way they can. Remember, since chapter five, they've been trying to kill him. Ever since Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, they've been wanting to kill him. But has been the case all along, Jesus uh, will show in this debate that he is in a different class, that he is uh, not on the same level as these two, that he is in control. He's in a league of his own. He's the good shepherd. And as we go through the text, we'll observe some that are sheep, and some that are not his sheep. And we'll be confronted with this main idea, that only Jesus' sheep hear his voice. Only Jesus' sheep hear his voice. And as we go through the text, it's really important for us to know who those sheep are and if we're one of them. And so we're gonna ask two questions that emerge from this text. The first question is this, very simply, am I one of his sheep? Am I among Jesus' sheep? That's in verses 22 to 30. That question comes out of there. And the second question is, are you willing to listen to Jesus' voice? Are you willing to listen to his voice? That's in verses 31 to 40. So let's first consider that first question. Are you among his sheep? Starting in verse 22. You see, the Jewish leaders, they were very uncomfortable with the prominence that Jesus was attaining. They were very uncomfortable that some people were concluding that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So much so that we learned in chapter nine, they had developed some kind of policy that if you confessed Jesus was the Messiah, you would be kicked out of the synagogue. You would be excommunicated. You'd be kind of ostracized from your community if you believed Jesus was the Messiah. So this was, he was gaining a lot of momentum and they were threatened. They wanted to stamp out all of this kind of thinking about Jesus as the Messiah. And so as they saw Jesus walking in the temple, they confronted him about this very issue. Listen to verse 22. It says, at that time, at the Feast of Dedication, which by the way is Hanukkah, what is celebrated now, it's when the, the temple was rededicated in 167 BC. This was something that's still celebrated by the Jews. This is the Feast of Dedication, a more recent feast at this time. It took place, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? Could be translated, how long will you annoy us? 
is how you could say it. If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And in the original language, it literally says, not that they gathered around, but they encircled him. They, they formed a circle around him, and they asked them point blank, are you the Messiah? Just tell us, are you the Messiah? It kind of reminds me of this scene, some of you with younger kids, or if you just like Disney movies, might remember this scene in Beauty and the Beast, where the main character, Belle, is surrounded in the woods by a pack of wolves, and they're wanting to pounce upon her. Well, that's kind of the picture of what's happening here. Jesus is being surrounded by wolves. They're looking to kill the good shepherd. But Jesus doesn't fall for it. He knows perfectly well that their concept of the Messiah was not what he came to be and do. Their concept of the Messiah was a political deliverer. And he was there to sacrifice his very life for them. And so he doesn't, he can't answer them directly about being the Messiah without creating even more misunderstanding for them. And so listen to how he so wisely answers in verse 25. He says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So Jesus is saying to you, I've told you, and you don't believe. And I've shown you through all the works that I've done, and you do not believe. You know, he said enough for them to know that he is the Messiah. He may have not told them plainly, point blank, because they didn't understand what the Messiah had come to do. But he has, he has told them plenty for them to know, and he has shown them plenty as well. He's healed this paralyzed man back in chapter 5. In chapter 6, he has fed the 5,000. In chapter 9, he has healed a man more blind. Not to mention all the other things that he's done that John says he'd even write down in his gospel. He has told them and he has shown them. They have ample evidence to believe. So the point is, is that they have surely enough evidence that he's the Messiah through his words and through his works. But he says the reason, the real reason they don't believe has nothing to do with the lack of evidence. It's because they aren't among his sheep. And so we need to really pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. These, vi these verses here show us that accurately answering all of someone's questions about Jesus won't necessarily lead to belief in him. Now, to be sure, Christianity is intellectually defensible more than any kind of belief system this world offers. We need to grow in our apologetics and, uh, and to know why we believe what we believe. But just knowing all the right answers and telling someone all the right answers will not make them a Christian necessarily. Only his sheep will believe. And that lends itself to the obvious question. Well, then who are his sheep? How can I know that I am among them? And Jesus tells us very simply in verse 27. He gives us kind of a litmus test. If you're wondering, if I, am I among Jesus' sheep? He gives this litmus test in verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, we need to break that down just a bit because this can show us from the very words of Jesus, this can show us, am I a sheep of Jesus? Do I, 
know him. If you, if you want to know that, we'll break it down. First, you are a sheep if you hear his voice. That means if you hear his mo- voice as your master, as the good shepherd, that you have believed in him as your savior, that you have been saved from your sins, that means you hear his voice. Those are those who hear his voice. So ask yourself, do I presently believe in Jesus, that he's my Lord and master? Can you answer that affirmatively today? The second kind of litmus test of knowing whether or not you're a sheep is that you're known by Jesus. He says in verse 27 of his sheep, I know them. So to be a sheep of Jesus, to be a Christian, means you're known by him. It means you're known as one of his beloved children. You've been adopted into his family. And you know that you're known by him if you have the Holy Spirit within you. Because if you're known by him, he will give you the Holy Spirit to dwell within. So if you've trusted Jesus and you have the Spirit within you, you are known by him. Well, here's the third litmus test of whether, knowing whether or not you are one of his sheep. It's that you follow Jesus. Jesus says of his sheep, they follow me. So if you are in Christ, trusting him by faith alone, by grace alone, the Holy Spirit within you will give you a desire to follow him as a course of your life, will, to follow the voice of Jesus, to obey him, to, to uh, do what he calls you to do in his word. It's a natural outworking of believing in Jesus. There's a desire, of course, imperfectly. None of us follow perfectly. Sometimes we're sheep that are wandering down the wrong path, and he's got to kind of pull us back, or even day by day, we're not doing it perfectly. But if you're, the trajectory of your life is to obey and to follow the master, that's a litmus test, that you're one of his sheep. You, you follow him. Well, perhaps you look at those things and you say, well, yeah, that's true of me. And, uh, but yet I still lack assurance. I still have doubts because I've got a ton of failings. I, I don't do what I'm supposed to do. And, and you lack this kind of assurance. Others of you feel very uh, confident that, yes, you are in Christ, and then some of you may say, I know this is not true of me. I'm definitely not a sheep. Well, if you are one of his, if you are a sheep, he gives us some assurance in these next verses. He gives us five assurances, in fact, in verses 28 to 30. And this is really important for us, those of us who know and follow Jesus, to know that we are his, to know that we are in his fold. So starting in verse 28, he gives the first of these five assurances. In verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, fellow believer, hear these assurances as true of you. This is true of you if you are a follower of Jesus. Assurances of your security in Him. The first assurance is that Jesus has given you eternal life. 
Jesus has given you eternal life. This is not something you earn. He gave it to you. It's not a result of works that none should boast. It's a, it's a given gift. But he's given you eternal life. To believe in Jesus is to have eternal life. The moment you believe, you have eternal life. And that eternal life starts then and continues on through all eternity. The second assurance that you have as one of his sheep is that you will never be condemned. When Jesus says in verse 28, they will never perish, in Greek that literally reads, they will not be destroyed into eternity. They will not be destroyed into eternity. That means that if you know and love Jesus, you will never be subject to eternal punishment. You will not go to hell, which by the way is our default position apart from Christ. All of us are destined towards eternal destruction because of our sin. But if you are one of his sheep, you will not face eternal condemnation and punishment. Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's talking about this. Well, the third assurance that we have if we're one of his sheep is this. You can never lose your salvation if you're one of his sheep. That's what Jesus means when he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says that no one will snatch you out of his hand. No false teachers, not the devil. You can't even snatch yourself out. You can't even kind of like wriggle yourself out because he has you. No one will snatch you out of his hand. He'll never let you go. Well, the fourth assurance for us as his sheep comes in verse 29, and that's salvation comes from the Lord, not from you. You see, God chose you before you ever chose him. He initiated salvation. Salvation is from the Lord. He, he came up with this before the foundation of the world. It's the Lord's salvation. We respond to him, yes. We must respond to him, but it's always an initiative of the Lord. We've learned that throughout John's gospel. If you remember in chapter three, it says, those who enter the kingdom are those, only those who are born of the Spirit. And just as we've never been, we never did anything to be born the first time, we're also, we don't do anything to be born again. It's, it's a work of his spirit. It's his initiative. In chapter six, Jesus said that no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. So I know people get really kind of uh, mixed up about this because it's like, well, does that mean I have no choice in the matter? No, you do have a choice. Your, your choice is to believe or not to believe. But this is what God does on his end. And so if you are one of his sheep, he has initiated this salvation and he will keep you. And so it's salvation's of the Lord, it's not yours. And then the fifth uh, assurance that we have here in these verses comes in verse 30. And it's that Jesus' words are backed by the Father. They are backed by the Father 100%. So he says, I and the Father are one. That means whatever Jesus says, that's the will of God. Whatever Jesus promises, those are the promises of God that you can bank on. He always does the Father's will. As we've talked about in past weeks, whatever Jesus does, or if you want to know what God is like, rather, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. They're perfectly one. Now, 
the Jewish leaders didn't understand this. They thought, well, God is one. If Jesus says that he is also one with the Father, then Jesus is saying he's another God. There's two gods. It can't be two gods. You must be wrong. What they didn't understand was that, yes, there is one God, but he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all fully God, and they're all one. So there's three persons, one God. They didn't get this, and so they were mad. Well, so what do, we, what do we need to do as far as a takeaway from these kind of truths? Like knowing whether or not I'm a sheep and then having assurance that I am, if, if indeed I have believed. Why is this important? Well, it's important because having assurance that you are one of God's is something that every single one of us needs to be reminded of on a regular basis. Because if we lack confidence in our standing with God, we're gonna think that we need to clean up before we pray. We're gonna think that we need to pretend that we're doing much better than we are when we're really not. We're gonna, we're gonna feel like we need to perform in order to be accepted by God. We know this uh, to be true in life that when we don't feel accepted, we don't we don't do so well. You know this in school. You know this in sports. You know this in a family. If you know that your position is not in jeopardy in one of those groups, you have freedom to be yourself. You have freedom to flourish. And on the flip side, if you are doubting, if you're going to be kicked off the team, if your family's not going to accept you, you're going to live in fear. You're going to live not as God designed you to live. So it's really important that we know our freedom that comes from the assurance of knowing we're in Christ. Well, we want to be assured. We want to um, live out of that assurance. But there may be some here today that are feeling assured, but they shouldn't, shouldn't be feeling assured. Because there could be some today who have trusted in Christ and some point, or at least made an intellectual decision for Jesus. They had an experience sometime way back in the past. And maybe you're banking on that for your assurance. Well, if you have not changed, if there has been no trajectory of seeking to follow Jesus, if you have no desire for him and you are banking on that, you are banking on uh, not good, you, you don't have a good standing. To, to bank on. Because if you are his, if you did make a decision, and a lot of people, by the way, have made a decision 30 years ago, and that was when they came to Christ. But if you think that that is the time, and you're banking on that, but your life has, since that time, has not changed at all, you shouldn't have this kind of assurance, because that means you're not following him. That's one of the things we just talked about. You're not following him. So if that is you, if you are kind of banking on a one-time experience, but your life has not changed, perhaps today you need to repent and come to Jesus and follow him today. Give your life to him today. Not 30 years ago, not 10 years ago, not five years ago, but today. Because Jesus' followers follow him every single day. But maybe you don't have assurance because you have never trusted in Jesus. And if that is you today, remember that those same hands that will never let his sheep go, those are the same hands that had nails that pierced them. And his 
His hands were pierced for you. His, his blood flowed for you. His body was broken for you. And so if you believe, if you surrender your life today, you can be one of his sheep and you can have the assurances that we've talked about. He died for sinners. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. If you are realizing for the first time today that you're a sinner, put your trust in him. Confess your sins and put your trust in him. Well, since Jesus' sheep are the only ones who hear his voice, it's very important for us to consider, am I among his sheep? Well, the next question that arises out of the text is this. Are you willing to listen to Jesus? In this next section, we can observe two groups who respond to Jesus in polar opposite ways. The first group is the Jews, the, the religious leaders, and they were furious at Jesus for this claim where he says he is one with the Father. Listen to verse 31. It says the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. You see, the religious leaders were not open to Jesus' claim that he was one with the Father. They had a template in their mind. God is one. If, if Jesus says he's God, that fits out of outside the box of what we know God to be. So Jesus must be an imposter. He must be a deceiver. They wanted to kill him. You may remember this is the second time they've picked up stones to kill Jesus. The first time was at the end of chapter 8, and that was when Jesus said he was the great I am, when he claimed to be God, and this is the second time they're picking up stones to kill him. You kind of wonder, was there just like stones around in the temple? Like, oh yeah, let's, are you, did they like bring them in their cloaks or whatever? Like, we got our stones just in case. Now we, have, we used to have guns, we have guns sometimes, people have guns. Back then they had like stones. But they picked up these stones to kill him. But Jesus' response is not reactive, it's not uh, impulsive. Instead, it's very measured and calm. Listen to what he says. He says, I've shown you many good works, in verse 32, from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? In other words, what have I done to deserve death? Why would you kill me? The Jewish leaders then are entering very dangerous territory because they're making an argument about the law in the presence of the lawgiver, against the lawgiver himself. So verse 33, the Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. You see, likely these leaders were acting out of their, their understanding of Leviticus 24, where in verse 16 it says that if someone is blaspheming the name of the Lord, he should be stoned by the congregation. So that's what they thought they were doing. They thought they were obeying God's law by killing Jesus because they knew there's only one God and Jesus is saying he's God. Therefore, he's saying he's another God. We gotta kill him. That was their thinking. And just as an aside, I hear this all the time from especially unbelievers. Well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Never claimed to be God. Well, that's just flat out wrong. I mean, right here, the reason why the religious leaders are seeking to kill Jesus is because he is saying, I am God. At the end of chapter 8, he said, I am God. Throughout all of John's gospel, Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the Savior of the world. So if you have friends who say, well, in the Bible, you're like Jesus is just a good teacher. He never claimed to be God. Be like, well, how about we read the Gospel of John together and we'll, 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 we'll just see how that's not the case. 
But listen to Jesus' response. It's not what you would expect at first glance. You're kind of like, come again, Jesus, what are you saying? Verse 34. He says, uh, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God? This is kind of like, oh, what are you talking about, Jesus? Well, creatures cannot outsmart their creator. That's what Jesus is showing them here. He is beating the religious leaders at their own game. So he quotes scripture. He quotes their understanding of scripture because they, uh, he quotes here Psalm 82, verse six, where it says, uh, I said, you are gods. If you wanna know the whole verse, verses six and seven, it's kind of helpful to have some context. It says this, I said, you are gods, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. So back in Psalm 82, what is going on is there's this divine council. And these men, these human leaders are called gods, not because they were God, but they were uh, acting on behalf of God as, as leaders within Israel. And other people may have exalted them the way that they would judge and rule. They kind of looked at them in a godlike status. And Jesus is saying, you know, if scripture calls these men gods, how much more one who is set apart by God and sent into the world to do his works, me, how much more could I be called the son of God? If these other mere men are called sons of God, what about the real son of God? I can be called, I can call myself the son of God. And he carries on that argument in verse 37. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So in effect, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, even if you don't believe that I'm the Son of God, look at what I've done. I've, uh, the sick are healed, the, the blind receive sight, the hungry are fed. These are the works of God the Father. I am doing the works of God the Father. At least believe that and you will see that I am one with the Father. Well, the argument seems to work for the moment, because remember, they have stones. They're about to stone Jesus. They don't kill him immediately. Verse 39 says, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. We see this all the time in John's gospel. People wanting to kill Jesus, but they can't because it's not the right time. Jesus has to complete all the works that the Father has for him. And it's not until that time, that very specific time, when God says, yes, now it's time to go to the cross. That's when Jesus goes to the cross. These, these human leaders don't have that kind of power. Well, as Jesus leaves this den of wolves at the temple, he now heads out into the wilderness to rescue some more of his sheep. And now we see a very different response to Jesus. It's just striking how different it is. Listen to verse 40. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. 
So what is John the Apostle doing? He's bringing us back to the beginning of his gospel. You remember, John the Baptist was right there in chapter one, where he was described, John the Baptist, as a voice crying in the wilderness from the prophet Isaiah, make straight the the path of the Lord. And I think what John is doing here, John the Apostle, is he's uh, closing out this first chunk of the gospel. And he's saying, okay, John the Baptist came and he was a witness to Jesus. He was a forerunner to Jesus so that many might believe in him. And John the Apostle is showing that many are believing in Jesus through these first 10 chapters. John's mission is being fulfilled. Remember back in chapter one, it says that Jesus came to his own, that is the Jewish people, and his own did not receive him. But whoever did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's exactly what's happening here. The Jewish leaders do not receive him. They've rejected him. But these people in the wilderness have come to faith in Jesus. They have become children of God. Those who had the temple and the promises, those who had all the advantages have rejected Jesus. And these people in the wilderness have believed in him. They have eyes to see him. They have heard his voice. And what is their reason for believing? It's this, that everything John the Baptist said about Jesus was true. But what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? Remember the the main thing he said, which was, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said he uh, he must increase I did that opposite. He must increase, I must decrease. And, and we've seen that throughout the gospel. John decreased, he eventually was killed, and Jesus has just been increased, and he continues to be increased. Well, these two responses to Jesus of the religious leaders and the people in the wilderness <clears throat> proves that there's level ground at the cross, meaning everyone comes to Christ in the same way. It doesn't matter if you're well-educated or wealthy or have a lot of advantages in life or if you are poor and you come from slums and very difficult circumstances. Everyone comes to Jesus in the same way. And that is admitting our spiritual poverty before him, that we are in need of a savior, that we are sinners. There's no VIP line into heaven. We all come to Christ in the same way way. Jesus calls the weak to shame the strong. He calls the humble and the lowly of this world. And if you look around today, there are many who are hostile to Jesus. I don't need to tell you that. You kind of live it. There are some that will not be convinced. No matter what argument about Jesus, whatever compelling argument you give them, there are some that will not believe in Jesus. It's a tragedy but that's because they are not his sheep. But there are others who don't currently believe who will trust in Christ, and the Lord is always drawing people to himself. And like John the Baptist, we are called to be faithful witnesses to Jesus, to speak of what he's done in our own lives, to, think, to speak of what he's done for the, the world at large. And so... For us, I I would ask this week, ask the Lord to show you and give you discernment about where he's at work, about 
how you can introduce others to him. You may be really frustrated right now because you're in kind of a temple-like situation. You're like, how come no one really is responding? Well, just continue to be faithful because the Lord may send you out into that wilderness and many will come to know Jesus. You can have confidence in the power of God. And as you live faithfully and share your life and your faith with others, the Lord will call others to believe. But we gotta remember, salvation is from the Lord. It's not from us. You can't save your friend. You can't save your neighbor. You can't save your family. Only God saves through Jesus Christ. Our call is not to save others, but to be faithful witnesses. Well, the second question that we need to answer as we see these two groups, these two groups, one that rejected and one that believed, is for ourselves, are you, are you willing to listen to Jesus? And are you willing to be a witness for him? Well, as we close, I want you to consider what it means to be in Christ or to be one of his sheep. It means that you have eternal life, that you are known by the king of kings. Think about it. If you know and love Jesus, you are known by the king of kings. He knows everything about you. He knows the hairs of your head and he has got you. You will, you'll never face judgment for your sin. You can never lose your salvation. It means you have an eternity that is secure. And that kind of freedom should enable us to live radically for God, to take bold steps of faith, to live as his children, to trust him to do the impossible in our lives, in the lives of people around us. We don't need to fear. We are his, we are his children. We're children of the king. Well, in a moment, we're gonna take of the Lord's Supper. We're gonna remember what Jesus has done for us. What a perfect time to reflect upon what Christ has done and thank him for making you and me one of his sheep. But if you don't know him, let today be the day that you enter into that fold. There will be great rejoicing in heaven when you do so. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are in awe of you, the way that you navigate these situations, Lord Jesus, uh, when you were here on earth. It's uh, inspiring to us to see you, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, be patient with those who opposed you, to refute them, and then to call so many to yourself. Lord, we many times just feel inadequate. We feel like we're not good enough for you. And Lord, I pray today, if someone is in that spot, that they would remember your assurance to them as, as one of your sheep, that you are for them, that you will never let them go. Lord, there are others who are doubting whether they even are your sheep, and I pray that today they might come to you afresh and trust in you and some know that they're not sheep. Lord, would you call them into your fold? We pray you do these things in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Amen.